All right. Yes. How many of you believe that's true? Do you believe that that is true? Amen. Man, happy Resurrection Sunday to you guys. So excited to be here with you for all those joining us online right now from all of our campuses and the online audience, man. Great to be here as we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. And we, listen, we're not talking about a fairy tale here. We, we leave fairy tales to Disney. They do a great job with it. We are here to talk about a historical fact, a historical figure, a real Jesus, really human, really God, came and lived, died and rose again, and we celebrate his resurrection today. We believe with all of our hearts that this is true, and we want you to know today that it absolutely is true. Listen, I know it's Easter Sunday, but here at Three Circle, we, we have no gimmicks. We're, we're, just, we're a church that loves Jesus and loves the Bible, so nothing's going to come out of the ceiling, nothing's coming out of the stage. It's just we're opening our Bibles, and we're going to read and study the greatest story that's ever been told. How about that? We're going to talk about the greatest story that anyone's ever heard, that of Jesus Christ. So when we look at it, guys, Jesus really did die. He really came uh, fully God, fully man, lived a perfect life, sinless. Then he died what we call an atoning death, a substitutionary death. He took our place on the cross. And when he died, his followers then went and asked for his body. And they buried Jesus' body in a tomb. And it's interesting that when they buried him, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the Jews, who had brought the trial to, to be in the first place, they came to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor who had given the sentence for crucifixion. They come to him and they say, look, I don't know if you know this, but these guys have been talking and this guy you just crucified, he claimed that he would die and rise again in three days. And we're afraid that his followers might be up to something. So uh, we need some help. So Pilate uttered what I think is one of the funniest lines in the Bible. He said, no problem. Just take some guards and secure the tomb the best you can, like he was going to hold Jesus in a tomb, right? But you need to know that they did that. So military-grade, professional soldiers guarded for three days the tomb of Jesus. They, they kept a watch over it. Roman soldiers, it was their job. It was their job to do this. Their job was on the line. Not only that, Pilate had the, the stone sealed. The, the tomb was sealed with a Roman seal to make sure, hey, this is official, we're keeping this evidence, this body's staying in this grave. And yet three days later, Jesus came out of that grave. By the way, the stone was not rolled away to let Jesus out. He didn't need any help. It was rolled away so we could look in and see that forever it is an empty tomb. Folks, this is verifiable historical fact. And today, we're going to look at that. We're going to look at the resurrection. And hopefully you'll see how the resurrection can change your life, how it should invade your life. It should have reality for you every day, not just something we celebrate once a year in a distant, disconnected way, but something that can impact your life right now, right where you are. And the thing we're going to see when we look at the story of Jesus and his resurrection is we serve a God who turns graves into gardens. Now, how many of you, that's your story? God took your dead life and brought it to life, right? That's your story. That's my story. He takes graves and turns them into gardens. Now, as a pastor, I've had a front row seat to watching God do this for a long, long time. I've watched marriages that you would have never thought could have made it. I've watched them come alive because of the power of Jesus. I've watched people strung out on drugs and you never would have thought they could have broken that addiction. I've watched them drop the chains of addiction and follow Jesus with their whole hearts because of the power of Jesus. I've watched pornography addicts that you thought they're going to blow their life up. I've watched Jesus totally change them, purify them, redeem them. I've watched people who were racist, who hated certain groups of people. I've watched their hearts melt and change to where they began to love people of all races and backgrounds because of the power of Jesus. So 
when we talk about the resurrection, we're talking about power that changes people's lives. And that's what we believe today. And that is what we celebrate. So as we look at this, I want to remind us today that the resurrection is actually a very human story. There's humanity involved. Because if not, it'll become like a Marvel movie. It'll be something we watch from a distance, but we don't really get involved in. It's like something that is full of heroes that we could never connect with. But I want you to understand that the guys that should have been the heroes of this story in many ways were not. They failed. They were not courageous. They were cowards. The people who were closest to Jesus let him down. And we're actually going to look at their story within the resurrection narrative today because I want you to see what it looks like when the resurrected Christ comes into your life. What does the resurrection look like when it invades my life and yours? And to do that, we're going to go to John 20. And as you go there in your handouts, on the screens, even in your Bibles, let's talk about the disciples for a minute. Have you ever wondered what they were up to between the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus? Like, what were they doing? Let me tell you, it wasn't good. They were having a hard time. Like Saturday, Friday night, it wasn't good for them. Some of you guys had Easter egg hunts yesterday, not the disciples. You're going to find out in a moment they were locked in a dark room, scared to death. They were terrified. They thought all hope was lost. They were not waiting for the resurrection of Jesus. He had told them he was going to do it. They totally ignored it. They thought all was lost. Can you imagine being them? And these are men who knew they had failed Jesus big time. And not only that, now he is dead. In fact, they all let him down. The night of his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, they run for their lives. We know that Peter, the big shot of the disciples, tried to be heroic, but then we see him moments later denying that he even knows Jesus three times. The Bible tells you that one of the disciples, we don't know his name, he ran so fast to get away from the soldiers that one of them grabbed him and he ran out of his clothes. That means there was a naked guy running down the streets of Jerusalem that night. Think about that. They're all in this room. All of them failures. All of them cowards. And John, the only one that actually saw everything that happened to Jesus was the youngest one, maybe a teenager at the time, this young guy. These other guys were older, more mature than him. They should have led the way, but instead it was just the youngest one that actually even got close enough to see it and hear it and watch it. Can you imagine on Friday night when he got back to the disciples and he began to tell them what he saw? When he had to recount for them probably the first time he'd ever seen the Romans scourge someone in person. When he said to them, I thought they had never stopped beating him. I didn't know that's what they did to a human body. I didn't know a human could even live through that. And then when they got him to the cross, can you imagine as he explained to them that he had never heard a man cry out in agony the way Jesus did when they nailed him to the cross? Can you imagine as John told the story, the weight of reality, of the death of Jesus began to cascade over these disciples. Can you imagine the shame Peter felt? The shame that Matthew felt when they realized they had abandoned him and now all hope is lost. That's what they're feeling in that room that we're going to go to now. Let's go to John 20, 19 to 21. It says this, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, so it's Easter Sunday. On that day, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. 
Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your word today. And I pray that you'd bring it alive by your power for every person in this room and joining us online. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now let's dive into what we just looked at. This is what we do every week at Three Circle. We do it on Easter as well. We just go to the Bible and see what it has to say to us. First of all, it tells you what day it was. This is Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday for the disciples wasn't good until that night. It says it was evening. That means they, they spent the whole day wallowing around in darkness in this room. The women that morning had a sunrise service at the empty tomb. Not the guys. They tried to tell them he's alive. They're like, nah, I can't listen to you guys. They, any, all the ladies in the room are like, yeah, I can see that happen. They spent all day, there's a lot of amens that just happened in the room. Uh, they spent all day ignoring the resurrection. Now, Easter's a big deal. When I, I grew up in a church where Easter was a really big deal. We did cantatas at my church. Anybody know what a cantata is? That's when the local church decides they're going to go Hollywood, y'all. My little church in South Mississippi go Hollywood every year. Guys have been deer hunting and farming all year, suddenly became actors. And I don't know if you've ever heard Peter when he denies Jesus in a deep southern accent. But I never knew him, y'all. is an interesting thing to hear. Yes. We did that every year. Some lady had a great voice, would every year sing a Sandy Patty song. It was called the, Down the Via Della Rosa. It was powerful. How many of y'all remember that song? Some of y'all are like, I don't know Sandy Patty. I don't know that song. But if you grew up in church, you did. You heard that stuff. It was big. And at my church, look, when Easter Sunday rolled around, it was amazing because all these guys I'd grown up watching, my grandfather, all of his buddies, all these people, they, they would show up at church in their hunting clothes most of the time, man. But on Easter Sunday, they all look like they're headed for the Kentucky Derby, y'all. <laughs> Easter Sunday, the seersucker suits are rolling out. They all look like a bunch of Easter eggs walking in church. The ladies at my church, ho, 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 I grew up in a Pentecostal church, y'all. Hats, man, they roll in with their hats on, and I'm like, man, you guys are serious. And then every Easter Sunday, we'd have a big, in my house at least, big dinner. Everybody come together at my grandmother's house, have a big lunch. Some of you are going to do that. So let me find out who the Southerners are in the room. And I want honesty here. I want you to raise your hand if this is true. How many of you before this day is over, this resurrection day is over, how many of you will consume at least one deviled egg and at least one helping of potato salad before this day is over? Just raise your hand. Look across the room. Look at them everywhere. If you moved here from Ohio, you're like, what's wrong with you people? It's delicious. And think about this. Think about the irony. On Easter Sunday, we're all eating deviled eggs. Now, is that a statement? That's a statement, y'all, right there, right? I'll have another plate of deviled eggs. Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday is awesome for us, but it was not for the disciples. I want you to understand, this thing we've got going, this celebration, that wasn't happening for them. It was a dark, horrific day for them. And they all are failures and they know it. That's why we can relate to them, right? I mean, haven't all of us in this room made promises to God we didn't keep? Haven't you all made your deal with a man upstairs before and you never made it halfway upstairs? Haven't you all said, I'll follow you and you didn't? I'll be faithful and you were not. We've all been the disciples. And they are there and they are in a state of panic, of fear, of confusion and despair. They're panicked because they don't know what to do. They've locked themselves in a room, the Bible says, because they're afraid of the Jews. They themselves are Jews. So then what does it mean? It means they're afraid of the religious leaders who just had Jesus killed. They think they're next. And they probably were. They realize they are marked men. They are hunted men now. And they're trying to hide out, and they don't know what to do. They're panicked. 
They're afraid. Many of us have been there the past couple of years with the pandemic and all that we're facing and all that we're going through. We don't know if World War III is about to break out at any moment in Europe. We don't know if the pandemic going to make a comeback in the fall. We don't know what's coming. So we can be afraid. And this led to confusion. And remember, we have historic advantage over the disciples. We have this clarity they didn't have in the moment. But they believed, like all Jewish people believed, that the Messiah, when he came, would be a military leader. He would be a king that would take over. They all believed that. No one thought that the Messiah would come and die. No one thought that he would turn himself over and to be killed. So when Jesus did that, it turned their world upside down. What they thought would happen didn't happen. Now, how many of us in this room can relate to life not going the way we thought it would? Some of you, the marriage you thought was going to be great, wasn't. The person you thought was awesome, wasn't. You thought the job was going to be great, turned out not so much. You didn't know when you went to the doctor for a checkup that you were going to find that out. You didn't know. Life threw you a curveball. Well, life has thrown the disciples the curveball of all curveballs. Everything they abandoned their lives for, Jesus, is gone. It's over. And now they don't have careers. Many of them don't have families. They don't have any livelihood. And now everything they were hanging their hope on is gone. It's over. They don't know what to do with it. And this led to finally despair. The disciples are in total despair. And despair is when you don't have any hope. Discouragement is when you're down and you're having a hard time. But you can still see a light that you're running towards. The disciples have no idea where to go or what to do. They are paralyzed And you can feel it now in that room. And then something happens. The Bible says the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. And Jesus came and stood among them. That was your chance to kind of little amen or something in the room. Jesus, I understand. A lot of Baptists in the room. Got to warm it up a little bit. I'm a Baptist. It's okay. That's the time to get excited because Jesus is now there with them. Now, I don't want you to miss details because details are in the Bible for a reason, y'all. So notice what it says here. The Bible says the doors were locked. It does not say Jesus asked to come in and they opened the door. It does not say they unlocked the door for him. It does not say he just figured out a way to pick the lock and come in the room. No, it says the doors are locked. That's why the the detail is there. And he walked into the room. What this means, y'all, is he walked through the walls, y'all. That's what it means. Jesus walked through a wall. What does this mean? Watch this. Because we miss what the resurrection should mean to us. It means that Jesus is demonstrating you what a resurrected and glorified body looks like. And you're going to have one one day. Why should the resurrection matter? Because he's showing you what to look for in your future. Paul will tell the Corinthians that Jesus was the first fruit of the resurrection. Meaning that he was a real human. He really died. His heart stopped beating. And he came back to life. And he has a resurrection body. And that's what one looks like. And you, if you're a Christian, are going to have one one day. So look, I grew up in church. I love Jesus. I was totally taken by the whole gospel. But I thought and really deeply believed because I was taught this and I had pictures and all that of what it would look like that when I died, here's what it would look like. I would float on a cloud. I'd be on a cloud, kind of like a ghost. And I'd wear a white robe for all the eternity. And I'd play a little harp. had a little gold thing on my head. I'd play a harp and float around on a cloud for all of eternity. And I never said it out loud. But in my heart, I thought, this seems like hell, not heaven. This, this is not a good thing. What's good about this? Seven years ago, I lost my grandfather who loved Jesus. And I'm telling you right now, if he got there and they put a robe on him and stuck him on a cloud floating around playing a harp, he's not happy either. I know him. 
So I got good news for everybody. If you wonder, what's it going to be like? Well, the Bible doesn't tell you everything. I can't tell you everything about our future. But I can tell you one thing. This is what a resurrection body looks like. And you're not a ghost and you're not just floating around. You're a real human in a glorified body. And your body can talk to people and they know it's you. And you have a voice. You have skin and bones. You still have scars, evidently. But here's one thing that's kind of cool. You can walk through walls. Your body will interact with the environment around it in a unique and mysterious way. And we are watching it with Jesus. And it's awesome. And I just want you to understand, this matters because I hate to tell you this on Easter. It's supposed to be an encouraging day. You're all dressed up. We're happy. But you're all going to die. Hopefully not today. Maybe, though. Because it depends on how many deviled eggs you eat. But here's the deal. We're not making, out, making it out of this thing alive. You will die, and I will too. The Bible says it's counted, appointed to every man. Your day's coming. Here's the deal, though. As Christians, the Bible says, oh, by the way, Jesus has taken the sting out of death. You know, there's nurses that know how to give shots and some that don't. And I love the ones. I've gone to get a shot because I don't like needles. When I'm talking to them, and I'm like, hey, this isn't going to be bad, is it? And I'm cl- they're making fun of me because I'm clenched on the side of the chair. And they're just talking to me, and suddenly I feel a Band-Aid going on my arm. I'm like, what? And they go, yeah, we already gave it to you, you big baby. I like those people. I don't mind the insult at the end because I didn't feel it, right? Because they removed the sting. Jesus forever removed the sting of death. You got nothing to be afraid of. You got nothing to worry about. And when you die, he's going to give you resurrection. You're going to have a glorified body. It's awesome what God has in store for us. And he just gives you a little, little bit of a glimpse of the glory that's ahead of us. Can we just celebrate who Jesus is and what he's done for us today? Amen? So we see a glorified body, but then the glorified body talks. So now Jesus is going to speak to the disciples. Now what does he say? Look what it says. It says here, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Now this is interesting. The resurrected Jesus comes in, and I'm going to be honest with you. If I were Jesus, and I'm not, and thankfully so, but if I were Jesus and I came back from the dead and I walked through the walls and I am standing in front of these disciples who abandoned me, so one of them's gone, Judas, and one of them's not there, Thomas. So it's ten of them sitting there, and they all are cowards, and they had all failed me and abandoned me. If they had all promised to stand by me, and none of them did, and they've all failed me, I'm going to be honest with you. If I were Jesus, I would have had to come to Jesus' meeting with those disciples, right? Now, this is why this part's important for all of us. Because I've got to ask myself, if he's the king of kings and he came from, back from the grave, that makes him God. He's the king. What kind of king is he? And what does he have to say to us who have failed him since we all admitted we have? Because we're all just like the disciples. We all admitted in this room that we too have promised and failed him. We all said we would stand and we didn't, just like them. So when Jesus has his chance to shame them, to tell them their record of wrongs, does he do it? Does he look at Peter and go, yeah, you, three times you said you didn't even know me? Does he look over here and go, and you, naked guy, we know who you were, ran out of your clothes down the streets of Jerusalem, you scaredy cat. No, none of that. He doesn't give them a record of their wrongs. He doesn't put them down. He doesn't remind them how weak they are and how great he is. None of that. No, what does Jesus say? What is his message to messed up sinners like them and like us? Peace. That's it. That's the best news ever, y'all. 
that Jesus, when he comes to us, has a message of peace. That's the gospel. Jesus does not look at them and say, you should have gotten it right. You should have stood with me. You should have been strong. No, Jesus comes to them and says to them with nail-scarred hands, it's all good. That idea of peace to the Jews, it's good. It's all good. It's reconciled. It's done. I'm sure Peter was stammering lips and teary eyes just wanting to explain himself because he always wanted to talk, right? And I'm sure Jesus is going, you don't have to say a word. You don't, you don't have to explain yourself. None of you have to explain anything. You, got, you don't owe me anything. I knew you were going to fail me. I knew you were weak. That's why I came. I know you guys. I'm not mad at you guys. I knew you were going to fail. I'm here to restore you, not to put you down. I'm here to bring you life, not to shame you. For now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because of his death and resurrection. Folks, the resurrected Jesus says to all sinners like me and you, it's all good now. I got you covered. That's the best news ever. That's the gospel. See, every other religion, listen, every other religion will hand you, if you approach all other religions, they will hand you a to-do list. Here's your map to take you to transcendence. Here's your map to make you a better person. Here's maybe your map to get to God, whoever he or she is. Every other religion will give you a to-do list. Christianity is the only one that gives you a sheet of paper and it has nothing written on it except one phrase in blood. It is finished. Not to do, but it's done. That's Christianity. Christianity is a nail-scarred Savior saying, peace. No more hoops for you to jump through. You'll never be good enough on your own. Just believe in me, the resurrection and the life. That's who Jesus is. And that is the message we have for you today. That was his message for them. Is his message for us. And then we see that he now will begin to show them his scars. Now, can you imagine seeing a Roman crucifixion victim's hands? You understand? You can see right through them. These weren't roofing nails they used to attach Jesus to a cross. They were spikes bigger than you want to think they were. It was horrific. So when Jesus begins to show them his hands, it was obvious what had happened. When they look down at his feet, it is obvious what happened. When he lifts his robe and shows them his side, it is obvious something traumatic has happened to this resurrected body. What is he doing? Jesus is lovingly building their confidence. He is saying, I know you're having a hard time. Here I am standing in front of you. I pulled that door trick a minute ago. I'm, all these things. But let me remind you, I'm real. Here they are. I'm the guy, John, that you watched die. I'm the guy. I'm him. I'm the same Jesus. Jesus gives us evidence. And by the way, for us today, those of us who look, y'all are all smart, intelligent people. I'm not asking you, and I don't believe God asked you to drop your brain at the door when you come to church, to suspend your intelligence to believe this story. No. I believe the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus is both verifiable and it is overwhelming. And I'm not the only one to believe that. In fact, let me tell you the story about a guy by the name of Lee Strobel. Maybe you've heard his name. Lee Strobel was a renowned atheist. Uh, He was anti-Christian, as anti-Christian as could be. And something happened that he didn't see coming in his life. Lee Strobel, renowned atheist, attorney, uh, man who knew how to tear apart arguments, his wife, his beloved wife, became a Christian. This made Lee Strobel so mad. He decided that he would use all of his resources and all of his skills to disprove Christianity. So that's what he set out to do. 
He wanted to teach his wife how foolish she was to believe this story and show her how stupid Christianity was. So he used his skills and his resources to go to work at dismantling Christianity. He spent about two years doing it, and at the end, he ended up proving Christianity to himself. Lee Strobel became a Christian. He's now a world-renowned apologist for Christianity. And in doing so, he came up with four E's that I want to give you today. The four E's of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, why did he go straight to the resurrection to prove or disprove Christianity? Because the resurrection is the hinge upon which the door of Christianity swings. If there's no resurrection, what in the world are we doing here? But Lee Strobel understood that. So he didn't go to the existence of Jesus. There's too much evidence there. There was a man named Jesus that lived. And also, there's too much evidence that a man named Jesus was crucified by the Romans. There's just too much. Lee Strobel didn't start with those two things. He started with, did he really die? Since there was an argument out there that maybe he didn't die on the cross, he went and he did that. And the first E was execution. He nailed down through medical journals, talking to doctors, spending time researching what happened and the evidence we have that indeed Jesus did die on the cross. How do we know it? Because the Romans are expert executioners. Rome's power rested on fear that they instilled in people. The cross was their number one weapon of fear for the populace to do what they told them to do. Do you think the Romans would let people be crucified and then walk around town showing everybody their scars? No, no. They made sure you were dead when you came down off the cross. The Romans did. And they made sure that Jesus was dead by running a spear through his torso. Medical journals will tell you that when water and the blood came out, which the Bible tells you, that means that they hit his lungs and his heart. He was dead. And all the medical journals, secular ones, said to Lee Strobel, he was dead. So secondly, his second E was the empty tomb. As he began to research more, he realized something he had never noticed in the Christian story. The enemies of Jesus that had him put on the cross, the Pharisees, admitted that the tomb was empty. The enemies of Jesus had to make up a story and put it across the region that the disciples stole the body of Jesus because they could not produce a body. When this whole resurrection thing started taking off, all they had to do was go get the body and go, here he is. But they couldn't. They admitted in their own writings and their own arguments that the tomb was empty. And this was devastating to Lee Strobel's journey because he realized, oh my goodness, They had to make up a story because no one ever produced a body after that resurrection. And they should have been able to since a group of military-grade soldiers were guarding it. you telling me a group of fishermen beat up the Roman soldiers and took his body in the middle of the night? Hard to believe. And then there were the early sources. Lee Strobel saw early sources, meaning that he could find evidence that within months... Of the resurrection of Jesus, people were talking about the resurrection. Not 100 years later, not 200 years later, which is how much time a legend takes to to develop. No, no. Within months, there were evidence in the ancient world that they were claiming a resurrection had taken place of Jesus. And finally, eyewitness testimony. The eyewitness testimony of the resurrection ended up being the final straw that devastated Lee Strobel's lack of belief in Christ. Devastated. Folks, Lee Strobel ended up as he put the evidence together going, I believe this. This is true. And if Jesus came out of the grave, it makes him God. And if that is true, then that means I need to follow him and he gave his life to Christ. And my hope is today for every Christian in this room that I have somehow given you some confidence just from talking about this man's journey to believe in the resurrection. What happened next? This is what I hope will happen for all of us. The resurrection invaded the disciples' lives. 
They were despair. They were despondent. They were discouraged. They didn't have any hope. And then suddenly everything changes. Watch what it says. Look in your scriptures there. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord Jesus. They were glad. Are you glad about the resurrection? See, the resurrection should bring us joy, hope, trust, and purpose. They're just going to hold that up there for a few moments. It should bring you joy. It should bring you joy to know that Jesus is alive and that it's verifiable to sit in a fairy tale. It should bring us hope. We have hope for tomorrow. We don't have to worry about death. I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. I'm telling you right now, we may all be broke from the, just the gas prices, right? How many of y'all ready to buy a horse? I don't know where the world's headed right now. I don't know what's going to happen in Europe. I don't know. Here's what I do know. 2,000 years ago, dead man, crucified, put in a grave, came walking out of the grave. He says he's the son of God. I believe him. And because of that, there's hope. I can face tomorrow. I don't have to be afraid of anything. Listen, if you're a Christian, you don't have to be afraid of anything because Jesus is alive. Okay? Nothing. Trust. This is a big one. Watch this. If Jesus said that he would die and rise again and he did, what does that mean? That means that if he told the truth about that, he's telling the truth about everything else he ever said. That means I can hang my life on every promise Jesus ever made because he didn't lie about that one. Then he didn't lie about anything else. That means everything else I can trust him with and you can trust him with. Everything he said was true. So that means our future, whatever he said is true. And that means about tomorrow, whatever he says is true. And it doesn't matter if it's about money or sexuality or culture or politics or how to love my neighbor or what heaven's going to be like. Whatever Jesus said is true. He proved it with the resurrection. That's why the resurrection means we can trust Jesus. And because of all that, we have purpose. Now our lives matter. It matters how you treat people, how you live. Resurrection Sunday, if you let it, can invade Monday and Tuesday. When you take the pastel dress off, you've eaten all the deviled eggs you can. When you put away the Easter songs for a year, you wake up tomorrow morning and there it is, just work and school and life. What do you do then? Well, the disciples got up the next morning and went and changed the world. They couldn't kill the Christians fast enough to stop the movement that started with this resurrection. It can't be stopped. Jesus is unstoppable because he's alive. And we believe in him. If you're here today and you're a Christian, I hope that your hope and faith and trust in Jesus has been ignited on this Easter Sunday. But if you're not a believer in this room, I want you to know there's only one way to heaven and it's through this Jesus who I have presented to you today. And it's the only message I have. It's not a way to have a better life. It's a way to have life at all. And it's in Jesus. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 9, if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the resurrection, you will be saved. Not be a better person. You're not going to pull that off anyway. Not get it all together. Get your act together. No, you're not getting that either. No, just Jesus. Just peace. Come to him, the resurrection and the life today. Believe upon him. Make him the Lord and Savior of your life. Bend your knee to his lordship, and he will save you forever, giving you hope and joy and purpose. That's what Resurrection Sunday is all about. Now, if you're here and you want to make that decision, we want to make it as easy as we can. Our team wants to pray with you and talk to you. If you'd be willing, if you'd take your cell phone and text my decision to 97,000, our team will get in touch with you like immediately. You will be contacted, 
and we can begin a conversation with you, hopefully, that we can help you know how to follow Jesus and give your life to him. And I am begging you, don't leave here today without texting that. Let's use the technology of the day to connect. And then we're able to give you a call and let's talk about how you can follow Jesus. Now, at this time, our team's going to come. And as they come, we're going to prepare and we're going to worship the resurrected Christ. How many of you believe he is worthy of our worship? Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. And I pray that you will, Jesus, be exalted in this place as we praise you. In your name, we ask and we pray these things. We pray that you'd save people, restore people, and ignite our faith. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.